Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Now, last week, if you listened, you could tell that I was definitely not at my uh, top operating potential, let's say, last week when I was recording. So thank you for bearing with me. It was very sweet. One of my friends called me in the episode. I was like, mm, maybe you didn't listen all the way through because I was like, I was definitely, I wasn't um, spaced out, but I didn't even bring my notebook, my legal pad when I was recording. But I had just watched the episode so recently within that day because I was grabbing all the media because I was doing everything last minute that everything was still at the top of my head. So I was kind of impressed with myself that I was able to get around like 85, 90% of the plot from my brain to your ears. So this week, I'm a little bit more prepared. I've not been taking Benadryl, which is nice. No more visits from the hat man. This episode, I will say, extremely well done. I am actually surprised at how much I enjoyed this episode and how depressing this episode was and the themes that it touches on. And then I don't even want to call it Vice Tea this week because... It's behind the scenes information, but it's not gossip. There was one gossip blogger, uh, Lainey Gossip, who was based in Canada, and her rule was no sad smut. So nothing to do with, you know, abuse, child abuse, physical abuse. It would just be like fun smut. Adultery, one thing. There is adultery in this episode. Look at you, Helena Bottom Carter. And... That's different. You, Yes, you know, families are getting hurt and torn apart, but there's a little bit of a line. And I always respected that because I was like, yeah, you know what? If I'm on a gossip site, I really don't need to be reading about, you know, CASM and really dark things. And I maybe I should do it with Vice Tea. So I'll have my Vice Tea with, you know, a little bit of home wrecking. And then when we get to the serious stuff, I'll just rename it to just like facts. Not fun facts, just facts. But let me stop talking about the episode and let's get into it. We are going to be breaking down season three, episode 15, entitled Duty and Honor. And I just want to say I am talking about how much I really appreciate this episode. This episode came out before I was born. Today, SAG-AFTRA has announced that they are going to strike in solidarity with the WGA And I think it is very important to stand up against the big studios and to preserve your livelihood, preserve your jobs and make things better for everyone as a whole. But I know that it's a very tough time for everyone going on strike now. And, you know, it's not just the big people that we're worried about, we're worried about everybody. So I'm sending all my support to anybody and everybody in the WJ and SAG-AFTRA during this time. And I commend you on your fight because this is what you do. You help us enjoy and take a little bit of a load off after a tough day of work and just kind of escape into this other world. And so while I'm talking about everyone who wrote and produced and shot this and staged the lighting and chose the music in 1986, I also want to give credit to everybody in 2023. So with that, let's move on and break down the episode. Season three, episode 15, entitled Duty and Honor. IMDb. 
summarizes this episode as follows. I realize I've been using synopsis and I think I've been using that word wrong for 60, 70 episodes. So... (laughs) What is this episode about? There we go. Who needs to use all these fancy words? When some prostitutes are being killed, Castillo recognized the MO as similar to some killings he saw when he was in Vietnam and when he was working with the Vietnamese investigator. This investigator shows up on Miami when it appears that copycat killings have struck again. Now we open this episode with, I don't want to say B-roll footage because I'm actually really impressed with this footage that comes from 1970s Saigon and I was actually really impressed like I actually zoomed in and took pictures of the signs and they are Vietnamese could have been you know like Garden Grove or Westminster here in LA or it could have actually been at the time in Vietnam in 1972 I will also say I love Castillo's ponytail and we don't really know what's going on so this cold open we get music that I don't want to say it's a little bit stereotypical. It's laughable. And I'm not saying this to discredit Jan Hummer at all, but like, <laughs> here's. See, it, it is pretty funny and it just kind of like takes you out of it for a little bit. Now, when Castillo walks in, we have no idea what he's walking into, but it seems like he's walking into a house. There's a cow. There's some families. He goes upstairs. There is a dead sex worker with VC whore written in blood on the wall. Same M.O. <laughs> How many does this make? Six all prostitutes, but not one was Viet Cong. Oh, man. And the fact that he says same M.O. means that this has happened again. And the investigator has some choice, but honestly, valid bones to pick with him. And how many more, Matt, before your superiors do something? Tell him again. Why should you provost Marshall care? They're still ding because. Because I want him more than you do. No one wants him as badly as I do. No one. This change in score means that he means business. But then this is exactly what it sounds like four seconds later. <laughs> And now we are switching back to present day. So unfortunately, Castillo has chopped off that hippie ponytail that he had back in Vietnam. And he sees the same crime scene set up. VC whore, written in blood, on the wall, murdered sex worker. First, I love Trudy. My Reddit flair is Trudy's name. However, for someone who lives in Miami... She should know how to pronounce this name. Angel Velasquez. Uh, wait, what? Angel Velasquez. This is not the only time it happens in this episode, but Trudy did it. I want to say she did it last episode too. Cuba Libre. <laughs> like Olivia Brown, take one Spanish lesson, please. I beg of you. You live. You're living and filming in Miami. <laughs> However, she is my best dress. Look at this beautiful dress 
the rainbow colors, the way it fits her body with the bracelets, looking like a million bucks. Now, Castillo, unfortunately, he has been here before. Before any of the forensics give him a report, which they offer to do by tomorrow morning, he calls out the crime scene and how everything transpired right off the bat. Wounds are pre and post-mortem. Thoracic cartilage is broken. Murder weapon is a military issue K-bar. There will be no sexual assault. There will be no fingerprints. I want this room sealed. Now, that is a a mic drop. Casio knows exactly what's going on. Now, as we get through the intro, we open up on the same fight as dance. Crockett, they've called him in multiple, multiple, multiple times in the night. Woken him up and ruined his night in with a very baby-faced and extremely pale (laughs) Helena Bottom Carter who is wrapped up in a bed sheet that is only like two shades whiter than her herself. And it's just funny too because Don Johnson was so tanned and just the juxtaposition of his tan face with her like very English rose face is really funny. Now, I saw her in the credits and I'm like, okay, cool. And then at the end of the episode, I'm like, this is all we see for this episode. So either they definitely cut a scene, and I know they're trying to introduce it. The next episode is called Teresa, and that gets a little bit more in-depth about the relationship. But I was like, oh, they just, like, kind of introduced her, and then just, that was it. Like, Crockett never mentions her this entire episode of, like, oh, my girlfriend, anything. Seems like they're dating. They seem to be cute. She is a doctor, and she makes a very cute kind of dirty joke as he gets called in. Um, Compulsive muscular therapy. Thanks, Doc. That sounds like something I could get my... my That's something I think I could take a bite out of. (laughs) Now, when I first saw that, I was like, okay, convulsive muscular therapy. I figured she meant something in between the sheets, you know, to make him feel better. Uh, But whenever I've... But I just Googled convulsive muscular therapy. All that came up was ECT, which is basically electroshock therapy from what I can gather. So <laughs> that's not what she was going with. I thought it was playful because he was taking a bite of her arm. I thought it was supposed to be like, you know, like flirtatious. But we'll get to more of Teresa and Helena Bonham Carter in the next episode. This is all she wrote for this episode. So I guess maybe she's supposed to be fleshed in this episode, but that did not happen. We'll get to her more next week. Now let's get back to what's going on. The targeted serial killer of sex workers in Miami that is the exact same M.O. that Castillo was trying to work on in Vietnam with the investigator because his superiors clearly weren't doing much to help. Now, K-Bar. What is a K-Bar? Crockett explains that it is a military-grade knife used in the Korean War, World War II, and, of course, Vietnam. (sighs) Crockett rightfully laments that This is not another foreign publicity that the Vietnam veteran needs. And this is and this is very true, as we have seen in history. So you can tell that Crockett is really not looking forward to having to go after people that 
served in the same war that he had. Now, there is a speech coming up. It is a gentleman named Senior Espinosa. Do they mean Senor Espinosa? Senior Espinosa's security force. Senior Espinosa. Okay, a few things I want to touch on. I do not know why there was just not one person on set to be like, hey, like, raise his hand. I don't think that's how. (laughs) So, number two, this is actually very important. So, why does Senor Espinosa need security? Well, to some in Miami, he would be considered a communist. I'm assuming either he is a at the time, a supporter of the Cuban government or of another socialist or left-leaning Latin American country that had recently gone through a coup or a military junta or what have you. So there's a little bit of risk of that. This is why the gentleman that you first heard, his name is Coleman, mispronouncing his name, he is the head of security that is taking care of Espinosa. Now, I also want to point out that Castillo, and he pronounces it Castillo. I swear I have a clip of it somewhere. <laughs> Such a cringy episode, if just for that reason. When he's taught when Castillo is talking to one of the other officers, I believe it's Metro, he's saying that he really wants to take vice off the case, that there's no need for undercovers here, and that he really wants his team to focus on the murdered sex workers. And at this time, Crockett and Tubbs are at the VA at base camp. Now we know we're definitely gonna be talking about the Vietnam War because we get a very strong Signal with the soundtrack. Solid song choice, I must say. Now, Crockett and Tubbs are talking to the VA psychiatrist, who naturally and very understandably does not want to give Crockett and Tubbs access to his patients. A lot of his patients, as he says, wow, I don't know where that accent comes from. Wow. Okay. As he says, a lot of his patients are still mentally in country, meaning that they're still dealing with PTSD and all the trauma they developed during the Vietnam War, and they don't want Crockett and Tubbs to hinder any progress that they have been making within therapy within the VA. So the psychiatrist is 100% right, and Tubbs says that they'll get a court order if he doesn't let them, and he just says, good luck. This guy's actually really good. This was this actor's first IMDb credit. Because he is Canadian. He's actually from Edmonton and he is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama. So, of course, I have to put that in there. Crockett is on the car phone with Castillo and Crockett is incredibly conflicted. Being a Vietnam veteran himself, knowing what these guys went through, but knowing that these killings will continue if they don't do all the research they can. We got to do it, right? Yes. We have to do whatever we can or more will die. 
It just, it's a really crappy hand for Crockett to be dealt, and I really sympathize with him, and you can tell that he's trying to treat it with the most grace that he can, but this is just not what he wants to do, and I don't blame him. Now, a cabbie calls in a tip to Vice. Remember the crime scene where they found the body in Miami? Someone is in there, so as Crockett and Tubbs approach with guns drawn, they find a gentleman that... According to his license, says he's from Galveston, Texas. Things don't really add up. And then he doesn't want to say a word to Crockett and Tubbs. He wants, like all good Karens, and I could say this as a woman in my mid-30s, to speak to their manager. I will speak with Joseph Pereira. You will speak with me, and fast. As if that music isn't cringy enough, when he gets brought in to... for questioning... <laughs> Swiatek just tells Castillo that, hey, there's this foreigner here that Crockett and Tubbs found at the crime scene. I guess it could be worse. This was not The music kills me, and I just can't get over it because it's the entire episode that it goes through. And if this gentleman looks familiar, this is an Oscar winner. This is, I think, the first time I can deduce from watching my advice this is the first time that an academy award winner has won an award before starring in maybe vice if i am proven wrong i'm proven wrong i'm not putting all in on this i want to say that this is just my assumption i will look into this though but i believe we are in the presence of an academy award winner which is the first time miami vice history as of as up to this point up to season three so this is super cool and so when Castillo comes into the interrogation room, he basically politely tells Crockett and Tubbs to beat it, sits down and talks to the gentleman and why the gentleman has come to Miami or why he is involved in these cases. And he makes a good point about the statute of limitations. There are no statutes of limitation on murder. It was on the radio this morning. Had I known you were involved, I would have called you immediately. But instead, you went to the crime scene. I had to, to be sure. And were you? Doi Lung Lung, Wong Rang, Ang Bao, Kong Song. I do not know what they were saying to each other in either this scene or in the cold open, but if anyone does, please do not hesitate to let me know. I'm actually very curious. There are no subtitles on the Blu-rays I own. So, you know, sometimes they'll subtitle at least what they're saying in English if they're speaking another language, but I have... No subtitles at my disposal. So if anyone knows, please do not hesitate to let me know. Now, Castillo also mentions that there were a cluster of very similar killings in Thailand and that Castillo has already put in a request to Interpol. He's canceled all days off and he sends Crockett and Tubbs back to the VA for further questioning. Now, us as the audience, we see a gentleman 
in an okay-looking motel room in a leather duster, which should be uh, like a five-alarm bell ringing in your head. This is pre-Columbine, obviously. And this look, to me, contemporarily, I would have been like serial killer just because of the black leather duster. If you own a black leather duster, I do apologize. Unless you're a vampire hunter, it is not really a look that many people can get away with. First thing I thought was Blade and Columbine. Not really two things that ever go together, except kind of being in the late 90s. But unfortunately, the Columbine shooters were known for the long, dark leather dusters. And I think that was more of an homage to Blade in the Matrix. But unfortunately, it's just really soured that look. But sartorially speaking, how avant-garde is Miami Vice for bringing the black duster oh actually there was that really funny episode in always sunny where max starts wearing the duster because he wants to start like (laughs) like you could pull it off ironically i guess like i would look really great in a black leather duster like a faux leather duster but it's just (laughs) i can't the second I saw this guy, oh, obviously, and you see the K-bar. You see him, like, posing with the K-bar and get, like, a pouty face. And then you just see him put it behind his neck, like, kind of tucking it into his jacket. Now, the frontless date, the, wow, the front desk lady asked for his key. It seems like he's in a motel where you kind of have to, like, check in and check out. She's watching TV. He takes an affront to this, which is also... Something I have had to work on, not making eye contact with people. And I always had a really big problem with it as a kid and as a teenager. And bartending, I have to really work at it without being too intense and creepy. Because, you know, like there's always a million things going on. People coming in, people dropping glasses, people waiting to close out. But you want to give somebody attention, but you don't want to fixate on them. So, like, I really have to work on making eye contact. Because it's very easy to, like, not look someone in the eye and complete a transaction. I don't really like that. I don't think that's the kind of hospitality I want to give. So this scene really got under my skin. That's him crushing her hand. It's not polite to talk to people without looking at them. You should look at people when you talk to them, you know? Sorry. Sorry. You know, you got a real problem now. You watch too much TV. It's not good for you. It's no good for your eyes. Oh, my God. This guy would have killed me right off the bat. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just like a really unsettling scene. Just like the way he crushes her hand with the keys. He's just so intense. And like, so we already know as the audience what's going in. Now... All right, that's... Now let's get on to a more depressing note. Crockett and Tubbs go back to the VA. But this is one of my favorite songs from the entire Miami Vice soundtrack. This is Blood and Roses by the Smithereens. What a great song. Also, this band is American. They're from New Jersey. I always thought they were British. I do not know why. I guess just like the name Smithereen. I just figured. But yes, Blood and Roses by the Smithereens. Also, when I first was like going through the Miami Vice playlist on Spotify, I was like, oh, maybe it's for the episode Blood and Roses, the one with Sally Tucci. So I actually liked 
the placement of the song in this episode because we are having Crockett and Tubbs interview different vets and trying to get information on who this guy could be. Then we have the guy that we know is the actual killer. We have him prowling the streets for sex workers. It looks like he's parked on a rooftop. I know that sounds really dumb, but just with the giant barrier and just with the lights in the background, it looks like he's on a rooftop. I... I gotta go check to see exactly where they filmed this because some other things I could recognize, but this I couldn't. The scene where he murders the sex worker, he's like holding the knife up in front of his chest. Like, I can't really, I took a picture of it so I can't describe it. A picture says a thousand words. It just seems really weird and the way he kind of like waves the knife in front of her face and she has this big curly poof font of hair super permed blue eyeshadow like kind of looks a little bit like Paula Abdul but it the scene itself isn't menacing like I'm not scared watching that scene and I don't want to say I laugh but I was kind of like that's it like Again, I have to think this is network television. This is not HBO in the 90s where they're lighting people on fire and burning people in pits and children in pits. Actually, that was FX. That was Sons of Anarchy. That wasn't even HBO. Still haunted by that episode. And we do see him take his fingers covered in blood onto the wall. So we do see the origin and the I don't want to say ritualistic pattern but we see that we now see that this is the guy this is the MO and when they're actually looking at the scene Crockett and Tubbs tell Castillo that so far they've talked to 91 patients and they have no leads as to who this guy could be now Trudy has a lot more information regarding the pattern on a larger scale, but not getting anywhere close to the guy who's actually committing these murders. All the killings took place in clusters in 11 countries, and all of them happened in less than two weeks and stopped. Look, all the prostitutes were killed in exactly the same way. In Brussels in 1981, six in Nicaragua last year, six in Paris in 1978, Laos, six in 82, Thailand, six in 1980, and on and on and on. Merci, those. The incredible thing is not one police department came up with a single lead. Now, as Inspector Tran is doing some of his own research on a giant, huge box of computer, which, again, probably cost like $5 million. No, probably like $10,000 in 1985 because it's not a personal at home one. Like, this is definitely one used for information, for files and for, you know, contact Interpol, what have you. Now, he points out because he was in Bangkok at the time. So when he heard about these murders in Bangkok after Trudy let everybody know. Furthermore, let's get a little superficial before we get a little sad. Trudy looking like a million bucks in this color-coordinated outfit. Look at the yellow accessories and the like the wool bodycon green dress. Just chef's kiss. Perfection. Now, Tran points out to Castillo that the sixth killing of the sex worker and the assassination of a suspected communist in Bangkok took place just one day apart. Trudy is going to go check back in with the State Department to see if they can link these clusters 
of sex work killings with an assassination. Now, we are also going back to the streets. Trudy, a woman who can do it all, because she and Gina are on the streets with Crockett. They're both in long, dark wigs, kind of, you know, to help lure him in, since the sex workers that he has been killing have long, dark hair. The kind of misnomer to that is that the woman that we just saw had kind of like a perm. But if this is supposed to be him going after sex workers that remind him of a sex worker that he encountered in Vietnam, the long, dark hair, the wigs make sense. Now, I've never related to Gina and Trudy more when Crockett asked them to check out who he perceives, who he thinks is the killer. Good evening, ladies. Why don't you do me a favor? You see that guy over my left shoulder in the long, dark coat? My left. My other left. <laughs> I do that all the time. I was like, oh, you know, I'll be on the right. I'll be on the left. And I just try to say, like, stage right, stage left. It does not matter. That is me to a T. No, the other left. Yep. All right. I got it. Now, Crockett also wants Gina to really put the work in for this role. Gina, do me a favor. Walk over there and walk up to him and say, Vom dab. Vom dab. It's Vietnamese. Just go over there and say that to him. Go on. Let's see what happens. Vom dab. That's so funny. I just went on Google Translate. It actually translates to beautiful arch, or I would say in this case, beautiful bridge, which is very funny. I thought it would be something different. And I believe this is the same bridge that Smuggler's Blues, the episode was filmed on, just because I remember that beautiful blue building illuminating the sky in the back. Now, let's get back to it. So she does go up, says the phrase that Crockett asked her to say. He gets rough. You can just see him grab her by the wrist, and she screams out, like, hey, stop, buddy, Miami Vice. He jumps over the bridge. Crockett follows and gets into quite a well-choreographed chase scene, if I must say so myself, because... We get them going through alleyways, and there is one part where both cars are kind of side by side, and I think, you know, like, maybe we're trying to do, like, a pit maneuver or try to, like, scare him, and I was just like, oh, my God, this beautiful Testarossa is, like, five inches away from <laughs> the side of this building. Then the killer runs into a pile of garbage, and... A giant chunk of furniture gets kind of moved into the alleyway. So Crockett has to stop the Testarossa and pull the piece and take it out of the way. And I was like, what in the Mario Kart is this? Then by the time, and like in that time that he has to get out and move the piece, the guy's already made a left-hand turn. By the time that Crockett finds his car, the car erupts in flames. So now, unfortunately, they're kind of at another dead end. Now I realize I was getting so caught up in the beauty of Gina and Trudy's amazing outfits and the fact that they don't know what left. (laughs) I missed some pointers. So what did you miss in my note skipping? Well, in Denmark, there had been no assassination on record since before World War II. However, or World War I. However, 
a Czech military attaché died in Copenhagen around the same time as a cluster of sex worker killings. Hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Espinosa, who is due to give his speech, was warned again by Tran Castillo not to do it, that he's at grave danger. Again, Coleman and Espinosa, Coleman is his head of security, refused to move the speech or even to move it inside. Now, we are back at the precinct and we are back talking to Coleman about Espinosa. Same thing. He says that he's adamant he will not move it. And I guess they wanted to see Coleman without Espinosa because they wanted to be able to kind of like separate him and make sure that he knew as a head of security how much danger his client is in. However, he's just adamant that Espinosa wants to give a speech. And that is that. Now, back at the VA. This guy was in a pacification program at the CIA and he seems a little bit embarrassed about it. And he shouldn't be. But. He does mention a guy who went by the codename of Savage with over 40 VC, meaning Viet Cong, kills. Says that he last saw him in 1970 and that he killed about half of these Viet Cong in their sleep. Hmm, a little bit more. But I heard a really wild story about him. She was a hooker. Story goes, she was smart. She got onto him, fought him. He killed her, okay? But she really hurt him bad. Heard the crazy guy recuperated in Japan and went right back to Nam. A lot of guys went back. Yeah. But this guy? She hurt him more than bad. Him. Now, when the VA patient is saying that he got, he went back to Nam and he's like emphasizing this, Crocker kind of dismisses it like, oh, lots of guys went back. It doesn't sound like he should have gone back. It doesn't sound that he was ready. It doesn't sound like he actually progressed in his treatment since he's still killing sex workers to this day. It sounds as if this is a theme that we really touch on throughout the entire series of Miami Vice, but especially in very poignant episodes of wanting to get out of something, whether it be undercover work, whether it be a certain position, and then whatever it is, whether it be your boss or whether it be, in most cases, it is your boss, it's the agency, it's the feds, or whatever is greater whatever is controlling you, whatever is paying you, that won't allow you to seek help and to be better because it doesn't meet what they want. We're going to talk about this more at the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, this is this is a a sad one. Now, let's get a little bit salty because this I laughed so hard because Theo and Tran go to meet with Phoenix. He is an ex-CIA guy and so he used to work for the company. Remember, CIA is the company. This is how he greets Castillo. I love it. Ah, oh my God. I cannot believe that I didn't take a clip of this. I swear I have it somewhere. Fingers crossed I will be able to edit this back in if I can find it. But this <laughs> The small talk is so funny. He's, oh my God, he just, and he like tells, oh my God, I can't even describe it. I'm sorry, I can't even do it justice, but... I will do my best to find it because you could tell 
the visceral disdain for Castillo in this guy's tone and basically saying like, oh, basically Castillo mentions that like he has no friends anymore. And then he says like, more than you. (laughs) How much they hate Castillo. Too funny. Now let's get back to the hotel because this is the motel, not the hotel. Sorry, the motel. The clerk is, again, working the night shift by herself. I believe I see a bird or two in a cage or a bird or two kind of just out in there. There's another bird later on in a hotel. Now, remember, Gina has provided this sketch to the best of her abilities of his face and put it out on the news, APBs, what have you, to try and get this guy. Now, the clerk sees it on the TV turns off the TV. So when he comes back, just as he's walking in the door, she turns off the TV. He comes back to get his key. He realizes she turned the TV off and can tell something is a little weird. It's in Miami. Details are sketchy as to the circumstances surrounding the murder. Police are playing this one close to the vest, except to say a man was seen talking to one prostitute before she died. All three... Good evening, Harriet. Hi. Now, when he mentions that the TV is off, she kind of like plays it off like, oh, you know, it's bad for me, you know, like, but you can tell there's a lot of nervous energy with her. And she looks at her phone, the phone at the desk as he walks upstairs. Then we cut back to Casillo and Tran in Castillo's office waiting. And I really love this quote because it's just a reminder to be persistent. There's no need for you to wait around here. Go back to the house. I'll call you if anything comes up. I have waited 13 years. And now I can wait a bit longer. I really like that quote. I've definitely been dealing with a lot of issues of, you know, what I want to do, what I want to what do I want to be when I grow up. And so I really could use those quotes, you know, like if it's something that's really worth waiting for, you can wait a little bit longer. Then this is when Crockett comes in to tell Castillo and Trent. And it's funny because I always say Crockett as C and T in my notes. And then I have Crockett tells the other C and T that they have a lead that the clerk called from the hotel, the motel, sorry, and that they're going to go check it out. So once the savage, as he's called, remember, that was kind of his code name. So let's just refer to him now as a savage. When he goes up, this is also a very funny photo of him looking at the sketch of himself on TV. <laughs> I don't know why. It just brings me so much joy. It's just too funny. And so he sees himself on TV. Then this is what the news reporter says, straight faced on local, possibly national television. That manhunt is spreading throughout the city. Prostitution on the streets is at a low ebb in the wake of these killings. Prostitution on the streets is at a low ebb. (laughs) I guess, like, you're also just taking the humanity out of it, as opposed to, like, people are afraid of being murdered, trying to make ends meet. Prostitution is at an ebb. Oh my god, that's the fun. I think that might be my quote of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) By the time that Crockett and 
Castillo and Tread get to the motel. The clerk is dead. Uh, Crockett goes to check. They go to ransack basically his room, everything, the front desk, and call Coleman. And Coleman kind of acts a little peed off, like he really wants them to get this guy, and he sounds invested. However, us as the audience, we can see that that is not the real deal. Find this guy. Pass me the ketchup. What are you doing here, Frank? You realize what you've done? I haven't done it yet, Jack. Your sense of humor eludes me. I needed a safe place to spend a couple of hours. As you know, it's pretty hot out there right now. We made a deal. At this time, you were just supposed to do the job and none of the rest. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, number one. First, it it really do be your own people. The fact that this guy, Coleman, is the head of a security company and is in cahoots with a known serial killer and the fact that he says that you're just supposed to do the job, nothing else, a.k.a. you're not supposed to be killing other hookers, not because he actually cares about the lives of these women or these sex workers. It's that it's interfering with whatever they have going on. So the fact that he has been double-crossing Crockett and Tubbs and the entire Vice Squad and covering for this guy, it really... I know it's really hard. It's just like... You don't want to not trust people, but you also really have to consider who you let into your house, who you let into your circle. Like, this just affirms a lot for me that I shouldn't. A lot of it comes from my dad. Again, like uh, most of you know, my father grew up in a communist country and defected um, during the Prague Spring. But he has always kind of instilled that in me and he has made friends with people who did not have his best interests at heart and I still remember my cat that passed away my cat that passed away when I was in college so we had her all throughout growing up she did not like two people both of them were definitely deserving of it two people that she did not like and it is a shame that, unfortunately, actions transpired because we let these people into our house. But it really is, you really have to watch out who you're friends with. And a reminder that those closest to you don't always have your best interests at heart. And yeah, this just like really cuts into my skin a lot. And this is where I don't feel bad for this guy but this guy is a pawn this guy is just seen as someone who is not i can't even describe it oh okay okay i'm gonna like shake this off oh another thing too is that when they're talking so coleman is talking to the savage aka frank he holds up a bowl, and when Frank complains that his actions have now brought the eyes of not only a Miami cop, but a Vietnamese cop, 
he just looks into this glass bowl and says, small world. And you can tell that there is just this lack of empathy and humanity and... Oh, man. But he basically, Frank reiterates that Coleman is the one who caused him to be this way. And he does it while choking him. So honestly, good for Frank. (laughs) Uh, If anyone in this episode deserves to be choked, it is him and Coleman. And that Coleman is the one to blame for his behavior, that Coleman has always known who he is, and that he promises that Espinosa will be dead and he'll be gone in the morning until he hears, until Frank hears from Coleman again. <sighs> so now Castillo and Tran go to meet with their guy on the boat, the CIA guy who <laughs> hates Castillo. <laughs> but he also has a little bit more of a backstory. He's not ours. As soon as the company found out what he was doing, The hookers, they cut him and his handle loose. He's freelancing. And who was running him? A guy named Coleman. I met him once. He could freeze hell. A freelance assassin. I think that was also in Gross Point Blank as well, if I'm not mistaken. Now, Castillo and Tran go to the nice hotel where there is a bird. You will see that I've pointed to it at the gallery that you can see in the descriptor notes of each and every episode. Uh, But this I definitely pointed out the bird because I was waiting for him to say something. So they meet with Coleman and Castillo girls Coleman about the savage or Frank. Coleman tries to rationalize it and says that Espinosa is a threat and that... Castillo and Tran don't have any probable cause. And you can just see how dismissive and flippant Coleman is of the situation. Then also let's hear Coleman try to pronounce Castillo's name. What does Espinosa have to do with the murder of three women in Miami? Uh, Come on, Castillo. Who cares about a couple of whores here or in Nam? No offense, Mr. Trang. He may be a coop, but he's the best there is. I want to put you away for conspiracy. You got no probable cause. You got to catch the guy before you can prove anything. Spinoza's not speaking tomorrow. Also, please note in the gallery the ashing of the dead cigar onto the seat, <laughs> onto the armrest. <laughs> oh man, that too funny it's like a super dead cigar too and well i guess is that foreshadowing because the way they end that like you just heard in that clip like espinosa's not delivering that speech tomorrow i had to cut the clip short because there was like a 10 15 second pause but tran pipes up and says you don't seem to be surprised by that to which coleman replies it's past my bedtime i'm taking that to mean that coleman doesn't care that Espinosa is not delivering his speech because either way, he does not have to deal with Espinosa anymore and that the plan that he wanted to enact is going through. When Castillo goes to make a call, he says that Espinosa's line's dead and that the hit is going on right now. Him and Tran go into the scene and again, there's a great photo because they have the police blue rotating light and 
it's just they're both writing in silence. You know, they're both very stoic characters. They kind of met their match in each other, right? Where they don't speak just to fill silence. So they would hate me. <laughs> but there's so many great, I put a great shot of them with that blue light, just showing them working together as they go to Espinosa's house. Now, Espinosa's house, this is such a beautifully shot scene. You have kind of like a misty twilight that you can see breaking through the glass blocks, that you can see breaking through the blinds as there's this cat and mouse hunt kind of going on. We see one of Espinosa's bodyguards get taken out really quickly by the savage or by Frank. And there's a great shot I took of them at the gallery where you can see four feet and you know that that's the end of the security guard. And it is very silent. So Espinosa is still sleeping at this point. However, <laughs> gotta give it up to Castillo. He fires two shots in the air and says that he's not taking or he won't take Espinosa in his sleep. So Espinosa hops out of bed, turn the lights on, grabs his gun, and now it is on. So there's a, a lot of great stalking scenes where you just see kind of Castillo's silhouette and you see the way that they maneuver in this house, you know, shimmering, shimmying to the side until Castillo and Frank. I don't like saying the savage. Again, I just also don't like putting that on someone who's clearly been used and abused by not just the government, but by Coleman. Just like doesn't feel right that his mental illness has been exploited this much but again like he is killing prostitutes so I don't like him I don't know I'm just gonna call him the savage so once the savage finally reaches Castillo he stabs Castillo Tran gets there right in time shoots at the savage makes sure the savage is dead checks on Castillo hears the police sirens in the background and leaves but not before making sure that his friend is okay. They are right. Goodbye, my friend. Now, why is he running away? So I also want to note that Trudy... Before Crockett and Tubbs leave for the scene, Trudy comes in to let them know the truth about Tran, that he was a policeman who was killed in a Tet Offensive years ago. So who is this guy? This makes sense why he's fleeing the scene, even if he didn't do anything and he makes sure that Castillo's okay before he does so. Then at the end of the episode, we actually get a really nice beach scene. We see EJO in some shorts. He's got a bandage. He's healing up. He gets this beautiful letter that Crockett and Tubbs delivered to him on the beach as he's being surrounded by seagulls, being little jerks as per usual. But this is a really beautiful note about the power of friendship. I'm now a colonel in the Army of the Republic of Vietnam. For the past 14 years, I have hunted the man we now know as the savage. Only when we found him did I realize that this sick man was nothing more than a victim, a weapon of war. The true savage was Coleman, 
and men in your country and mind who create and nurture such assassins. You were trans friend in South Vietnam and trans friend in Miami. I hope and pray you are my friend now. I dream of a more perfect world in which we could also be comrades. Goodbye, my friend. I think that this is just a beautiful way to end the episode with basically Castillo finding a contemporary, someone who understands, gets him, and considers him a friend. And the fact that they do call... They do acknowledge that the actions of the savage were because he was a weapon of war, that this was not... This was something that he had tried to take care of and that he was prevented from because to Coleman and to the CIA and then to Coleman exclusively, he was useful as an assassin. And they ignored the collateral damage. And I think that's a really poignant way to end this episode. But I also want to end the episode with this beautiful, touching message of friendship that even though... He cannot reveal his real name and his real identity. He will still consider Castillo a friend and hope that one day they can both be friends despite everything that has gone down. So I think that is a really beautiful message to wrap up this episode with. And luckily, the last shot is just Castillo on the beach, surrounded by seagulls, possibly just... I was going to say, I don't see any food there because that's... I just saw so many seagulls in this scene. I was like, oh my God, this would be a nightmare. (laughs) These... These little jerks. So let's break down the episode. And what might be a vice and easy first? I have zero men as best dressed this episode because Trudy killing it in the opening scene with that rainbow dress, killing it again with the green dress and the yellow accessories, Gina and Trudy killing it again on the streets with the long dark wigs my wild card pick is the white sex worker with white tights white boots white hat white shorts and a white top I did not include any men on the best dress list because nothing really popped out at me and now my pick for best decor interior is going to be the motel where the savage is staying at also tied with Espinosa's house. Because <laughs> I am not only a sucker for glass blocks, I'm just, the way that the moonlight illuminates this scene is just so beautiful. And I'm sure that it was horrendous filming this at four in the morning, but I'm very grateful to the team for filming it as they did. Now, this is where it gets a little bit sad. So maybe I'll save my Helena Bonham Carter vice tea for next week since she's going to be here anyway. Um, and kind of homewrecking kind of brought on Emma Thompson. But we'll get to that next week. I'll do a little bit of a deep dive. There is lots of fancy British gossip. And it's funny just to see British IMDb. And it's like, The Crown, Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, were you in Paddington as well? Um, I loved Paddington, by the way. Now, I'm not going to pronounce his name right. But the gentleman who played Lieutenant Tran in the episode, Hang Noor. He is a real-life Academy Award winner. He won for 1984's The Killing Fields, which was about the Khmer Rouge 
<sighs> in Cambodia. Now, it's even sadder because in real life, he was imprisoned and put in a concentration camp with his pregnant wife who died during childbirth because of the... Basically, Pol Pot was known for rounding up intellectuals and anyone with glasses, anyone perceived to be an intellectual, nor was a gynecologist, therefore highly educated. So the one story I read was that she was suffering through complications with childbirth and she didn't want to call out to him for help because then they all would have been noticed and they all could have died at the same time. So unfortunately she needed a C-section and she did not call out for him or call it to help or that he, I couldn't, I couldn't keep reading more about this. It was just really sad, but he was able to flee to the U S with his niece in 1980. He won Oscar four years later for starring in the killing fields, which is about Khmer Rouge. And it was his first acting credit. So I actually, I think that's, incredibly sweet that he was able to start a new life in a new country and then in 1986 oh my god you can definitely hear me crying in this this was possibly the saddest advice you've ever had to deal with i don't want to say i have to deal with i've ever had to research on he was murdered in 1996 in downtown los angeles in chinatown which is not that far removed from downtown, but the details surrounding the case were a little bit sketchy. Basically, in that he had money and jewelry on him that they didn't take, but apparently the tipping point was that he didn't want to give up a locket that had his late wife's picture in it. And there were rumblings that basically he was murdered for political reasons that this stretched all the way back from when he fled Cambodia and I couldn't find a definitive answer but that um, the three people that were arrested and tried and convicted one of whom was able to get an appeal later on Um, and this is just super sad I believe if my dates are correct he died when he was 56, 64 six years old like very young so let's improve the mood and talk about music because every song this episode was a banger except for the one i forgot to play for you guys i'm so sorry i even had it named as like clip 17 music chase there was white rabbits and right rabbit by jefferson airplane which was an amazing choice one of my personal favorites blood and roses by the smithereens and then this one by the damned And that was Anything by the Dam. Now, obviously, I've already talked about it. My favorite choice is going to be Blood and Roses by the Smithereens. Just such a great song whenever it comes on. It's just not a song that I skip. And that is very few and far between. Now, as we wrap up, my choice for quote of the episode. Big surprise. (laughs) That manhunt is spreading throughout the city. Prostitution on the streets is at a low ebb in the wake of these killings. 
Just the fact that you refer to her as like, just like, what's going on in the economy today? Well, prostitution has a low ebb tonight. Oh my God, I cannot. You know what? Honestly, I was crying five minutes ago, so I really needed that quote. And I hope you all did too. Thank you once again for listening, for following, for subscribing. Vice and Easy is just me. So thank you for all the kind words, all the support, all the listens, all the downloads, and tell your friends. Share. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.